Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Forgiving an individual is one thing, but letting somebody continue to bring destructive doctrines and heresies, which is a work of the flesh, into the church or into your life by accepting them is another. These harsh words are for them, but they're a huge warning for us. We've been studying the heavy warnings found for false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2. These scriptures promise swift judgment for those who teach false doctrine, but they also serve as a strong warning for us, the church, to recognize false doctrine and not allow it to seep into our churches and Bible studies. We continue through 2 Peter chapter 2 with what to watch for. Here's verses 9 through 22 with Robert Furrow. I believe that you and I have been given the greatest message that can possibly be taken to this world. You and I are given a message that can save people, that can literally transform people. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. We have been entrusted the very word of God to bring to people that enriches them. First Peter told us that we have everything for life and godliness. Second Timothy tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing, that everything that we need comes from the pages of Scripture. No wonder then when Second Peter chapter 2 ventures into the heart of this book, which is a rebuke against false teachers, that the harshest words that are said in the scriptures are either here or arrived here. When you read this passage, when you just stand back and you read it without any commentary, it's almost impossible by the time you get to the end of the chapter not to say, whoa. That's pretty heavy. And we wonder, why does Peter get so fired up in this chapter? And I think that there's a pretty simple answer to that. I think that we have to look no further than history. We look at Jonestown. Can you guys remember the pictures of the bloated bodies after the people committed suicide at his response? There must have been something charismatic about him. There must have been something fiery about him when he spoke. There must have been something that when he talked, people went, oh, well, he's got something that I want to follow. I mean, people left everything, gave everything to him and went and followed him to Jonestown, where eventually he led them all to suicide and they followed him. It must have been persuasive, but what a contrast of the promise that he brought of salvation and the gospel that he was teaching, what Jesus had him to teach. And then he brings death to those people. He brought death and destruction to those individuals. False teaching doesn't always have that bright of a contrast to it. We can't always look at it and go, ah, that's what false teaching does. But that's what it does eventually. It's a promise to you that it's bringing you something that is true, something that is powerful, something that is life-changing. And then when they bring the message, it is nothing but that can destroy you. And it doesn't hold any truth to it at all. 
No wonder as Peter starts to write this chapter that he gets fired up. And he doesn't talk about their destruction once. He doesn't talk about their destruction twice. He didn't talk about it three or four or five times. He talks about it again and again and again and again throughout this chapter. As if saying, you guys are bringing destruction into the lives of those you're promising that you're bringing the truth and you yourself are going to be destroyed. Now, now in the way of review, it said earlier in the chapter that there were going to be many false teachers among us and that these false teachers were going to be effective. And throughout church history, it has been true. And today it is true. There are many false teachers. There's not a handful of false teachers. There are many false teachers and they are effective. People listen to them. There's something that they say. There's something about them that attract people to them and people listen to them. Jesus said that in the last days, there would come many who would come saying that they are him and that they would deceive many. And many people around the world are deceived today. In the second half of our study or the second study that we had, we looked at the promised destruction where God said, if God didn't spare angels, then what makes you think he's going to spare false teachers? If God didn't spare the entire world when he destroyed it by a flood, what makes you think he won't spare false teachers? And if God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because they were seeking their own pleasures, then what makes you think that they're not going to destroy you, false teachers? And we're told early on what their motive is. It says, with covetousness, they deceive you, or with covetousness, they exploit you. In verse 3, covetousness, they want something you have. They want your money, or they want something from you. And people have been exploited for their money by false teachers. People have been sexually exploited by false teachers. People have been exploited for power by false teachers. No wonder these words are some of the harshest that you find in the pages of Scripture. And if these words are the harshest, and if they really are that dangerous, then we need to not be tolerant at all to false teachers. Some of you guys are very discerning. You know when someone's teaching a false doctrine, you spot it right away, you see it, you say, I knew there was something wrong from the very beginning. And then others are just more, I don't know, if, if forgiving is the right term, they just seem to be more accepting of false teachers. Forgiving an individual is one thing, but letting somebody continue to bring destructive doctrines and heresies, which is a work of the flesh into the church or into your life by accepting them is another. These harsh words are for them, but they're a huge warning for us that you and I would not receive and accept false teachers. The Bible says that Satan appears as an angel of light. How much more his ministers. They don't show up teaching with horns and a red tail. They don't start off saying, I'm here to take whatever I can take. I'm doing this for myself. I'm not doing it because of the call of the gospel. By the time we get to verse 9, it says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 
God knows how to deliver the righteous, but he knows how to reserve those who are unjust. And then he says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of their uncleanliness and despise authority. The despising of authority is the false teachers who despise the authority that God has put into place. God had established in the early church 12 apostles. Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, was replaced. Some will say by Matthias. I believe by Paul the apostle. I think most believe by Paul the apostle. When Paul stood with the church of Ephesus and was leaving them for the last time to go to Jerusalem, where he would eventually be arrested and brought to Rome and eventually be beheaded for the gospel that he would preach, he stood on the, the beach with them and he cried. He had been with them for a while. It was there in Ephesus that he had taught daily in the school of Tyrannius. He had poured the doctrine into these people. And he said, false teachers are going to arise from among you. Ravenous wolves are going to come in among you. They're going to see you as a mark. And he knew it was as if he was foretelling a prophecy. Not only do people look at the church and say, I've got a new doctrine that I'm going to bring into the church. I'm going to be able to gain from what I bring into the church. But people within the church rise up and they begin to teach something new. Something that's good for us to understand. And I've, I, I attribute this to, to Greg Laurie. I don't know that he's the first one to say it, but I like what he says. And that is, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. If somebody says, I've got something new that I found in the Bible, then you can just say, well, then it's not true. It will have already have been there. It will have already been taught. Paul said in Galatians chapter one, if anybody brings anything to you other than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. And then he says, if we or an angel appears to you bringing anything other than what we have already brought you, let them be accursed. There are those that have been given to the church's gifts. There are those in the church that have been given authority. But those who are in the church who are in positions of authority are also under the authority of Scripture. And if the person who's in a position of authority scoffs at the authority of Scripture, then he is not to be trusted either. But when someone rises up that is bringing a false teaching, when they are, are pointed out by those who are in authority, they will scoff authority. Over the years, we've had people raise up in our midst. Sadly, even those in leadership here have raised themselves up and began to teach something that was foreign. One of them particularly went from group to group, like flittering from one person to another person, just planting his seeds and planting his seeds and planting his seeds until he finally made his move, not even bold enough to make it himself, but encouraging somebody else to make the move for him. And when we finally found out all that he was teaching, I remember sitting down with him and covering what he was teaching and telling him to his face, you're a heretic, only to have him smile his way through it. I got thinking, if, if while I was in Calvary of Albuquerque, I started teaching something that was different than what Skip was teaching, it was so different that I began to go behind the scenes to talk to people about it so that the authority in the church wouldn't find out about it. And then if Skip sat me down and said, Robert, you are a heretic, there's no way I would go, 
There's just no way I would smile. I would be crushed. I would be devastated. But that tells you that when someone is going behind the scenes, when someone is trying to work their way in and they're hiding what's said and they're despising the authority, they don't care what authority says. They don't care about the authority. They're just looking to themselves. Shock of all shocks when, when we finally removed him and he finally, he finally gave his resignation. I almost got it within me to, that I wasn't gonna, I was just gonna keep telling him what he was teaching was wrong until he finally resigned and he finally did resign because I didn't want him running around telling people that I fired him. He played the martyr. Robert fired me, he fired me. I think that's what he wanted. Just let it go as far as it can go. And he finally, he resigned. Okay, good, I accept resignation. And shock of all shocks, he went down the road and started a church. God called me to go just down the road to start a church. We've got to be careful even when someone is in our presence to hold them, not necessarily, yes, under the authority of the church, but under the authority of the individuals that are in the church that are under the authority of the Word of God because the Word of God is our ultimate authority. They despise authority. They are presumptuous. Look at the middle of verse 10. They are, they're presumptuous. They come up with their own thing. They say what they want to say. They don't look for authority to be able to find out whether or not they can hold a Bible study. They just plan on going out and holding their own Bible study, doing their own thing. I know I've said before, when someone starts a Bible study and it's not from the church, but they start telling people at the church that they've got a Bible study that they want to start. I know I find myself saying, look, anybody can start a Bible study if they want to start a Bible study. But we want people to start Bible studies. So why wouldn't they come to us and say, we want to start a Bible study? Let's, let's put it on the calendar. Let's tell you guys what we're doing. Why would they start a Bible study and have it be something that's not under authority, but then invite people from the church to go to their Bible study? I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. I'm not even talking about anybody particular at this point, but it's happened in the past. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. I'm not saying that the Bible study might not be good. I'm just wondering why, why the presumption? If you want to start a Bible study, then start a Bible study. But don't go into a church that you don't want to put the Bible study in officially and tell people, you need to come to my Bible study. Why not, why not just put yourself under authority? Why not just go in and say, I want to start a Bible study? If what you're teaching is right, if we know you, if we know that you have the gift of teaching, then there'll be no problem with it. If someone says, oh, we want to open up our house to a home fellowship, I don't think we've ever said no. You just can't do it. We're on a power trip. But when people do it and then begin to invite people that are from the church, when they've done it presumptuously, it just makes you wonder. It just makes you go, oh, I'm not quite sure that what's going on there is really a good thing. There's a reason that they're, they're presumptuous. And here it says that these false teachers, they despise authority, they are presumptuous, and they are self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, we talked some about this last week. That is that we want to be respectful towards those who are in a position of authority, those that God has placed into authority. Doesn't mean we always agree with them, and it doesn't mean we don't challenge what somebody says or a decision that they make. Anybody in authority can have a decision that they make challenged by anybody. Anybody in the church can go up to any pastor or leader or teacher or leader of a group and say, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. This is the problem that I think I have with that. 
You can challenge what's said. Hey, you said this. The Bible says this. It doesn't seem to jive. And since no one's perfect, there's always going to be somebody that says something that isn't quite true. And people that are in authority will understand that. And if they're confident in their authority, if they aren't trying to deceive anyone, then they'll have no problem when someone says, I don't think that's a good idea. Or I don't know whether that's a proper teaching. However, when you approach someone who is defensive and they begin to say, don't you speak against God's anointed. I'm God's anointed. Don't you speak against me. That's when you really got to begin to wonder, is this the right church for me to be at? If the person who's in the position of authority is so defensive about the authority that God has given them that they're afraid to have anybody challenge them on any level, maybe it's better to be under the authority of someone else. And here's the wonderful thing about being under authority in churches. You get to choose. I believe that you need to be involved in a church, but you get to choose. If you just went, you know what? I don't want to go to Calvary anymore. I want to go over here. I want to go to another church. You know what? You get to. You get to be the one to put yourself under the authority of the church that you want to do that. And when you start going to a church and somebody says, now that you're here, I'm the one who tells you where you go. The Bible says, don't lord over the flock. And in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, speaking of a pastor's job, don't lord over the flock. But you don't run around telling them what to do, but you minister out of example so that when people see the conduct and the outcome of your life, they say, I want to live that way. That's the real role of a pastor. A pastor's life is to be lived by his conduct. And so the people see it and say, I want that in my life. On the other hand, if an individual is looking to come in with the false teaching, is looking to come and take advantage of people, he's going to, be, he's going to despise the authority, he's going to be presumptuous, and he's going to be self-willed, and he's going to try to work his way in behind the scenes and not be under the authority at all. So there's this balance that needs to be struck within a church. Someone understanding the authority that they have to be able to say, you can't hold a Bible study or you can no longer come here because you're obviously trying to deceive people or you can no longer come here because your only interest is in the girls in the church that are 25 years younger than you. And people come to us and they say, well, you kicked so-and-so out of the church and it's so sad that you kicked him out of the church. I can't believe it. I talked to him. He said, you kicked him out. Yeah. And because we love him, we're not telling you all the things that he did. But he's only telling you half the story. So there's a balance between having the authority, being able to establish that authority, and then abusing that authority. But those that despise authority are often looking for reasons why they despise it. If you find yourself in a church where you don't agree with the, with the authority, where you start to despise the authority, and maybe even rightfully so, maybe because the leadership of that church is doing some stuff that's wrong, it, it'd be better to go. You know, people mock sometimes the idea of voting with your feet, but it's the best way to vote. If you disagree with something really strongly, I mean, you don't want to be petty, right? You don't want to be petty about things. But if you disagree with something strongly, then say, I'll find another church to be a part of. That's one of the best ways to, to make a stand. But these guys despise evil. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. And they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. 
whereas angels who are greater in power and might. That's something that we learn about angels, by the way. They're a little, we're a little lower than they are. They're greater in might and they're greater in power. Angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Kind of letting God do what God does. That verse has a little bit of a, exactly what it's saying is hard to really grab a hold of. That angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. The angels don't find themselves bringing reviling accusations knowing that God is in control. But these, this is the false teachers, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. <laughs> Again, that's just a heavy verse. It starts off by saying, but these natural brute beasts, these guys are not people like Jim Jones. They're not spirit-filled. Their charisma doesn't come from God, but it comes from within themselves. And they're doing what they're doing like natural brute beasts do it. Natural brute beasts do things because there's a drive in them that causes them to do it. You meet a bear in the middle of the wilderness and you are immediately frightened because it's a natural brute beast that has bear-like tendencies. So false teachers are just going by their own lusts, by their own desires, by their own tendencies. They want what they want for themselves. And they'll tell you how spiritual they are. They'll act really spiritual. But in reality, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, he says, speak evil of things they do not understand. They speak evil of the truth. They speak evil of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of good things that can be said. There's a lot of positive things that can be said. But when the gospel of Jesus is ignored, it becomes evident that there's a problem. Someone asked in the New Believers Q&A last week, I listened to this individual and I get so much from them and then I heard you say that they were a false teacher the other day. And I used the example of eating a meal that had good meat on it and good potatoes on it and good asparagus on it, but just a little bit of poison, just a little bit. You probably want to stay away from the whole plate. You go to the Mormon church and there's a lot of things that they teach that are the same as a truly Christian church. You go to the Jehovah Witnesses and there's a lot of things that they teach that's the same. You watch somebody on TV and there's a lot of things that they teach that are the same, but they do not teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died upon the cross demonstrating his love so that sins can be forgiven. Oftentimes they use the same terminology, but they give it new meaning. It's got their own meaning to it so that they can stand and tell you, yes, I've received Jesus as my Savior, but to the false group, receiving Jesus as their Savior is not inviting him into your life and beginning to live for him. It's not what you and I say, so that you end up scratching your head wondering, what's the difference then? It says they speak evil of things they don't understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will utterly perish. God will not hold them guiltless who do such things. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. 
We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.